Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. Humans have been cultivating wine grapes for at least 8,000 years. However, if you're a wine drinker then you probably know that vines are at risk from climate change as they are very sensitive to changes in temperature. In this episode, I'm talking to Nicola Gaum and Dr. Michael Liebert from Space Cargo Unlimited, who are using space missions to develop vines for a warmer future. One of the things that can really help a podcast grow is getting positive reviews from its listeners. If you listen to podcasts through an app, then it may well have a rating or review system that you can use to show your appreciation. For Gardeners of the Galaxy, you can also leave reviews on the Podbean homepage or my website, theunconventionalgardener.com. I also use the Podchaser website, which allows you to find new shows and bookmark episodes, follow creators, leave reviews and be part of the podcasting community. During April 2021, Podchaser is donating 25 cents to Meals on Wheels America's Go Further Fund for every podcast and episode review left, and they'll double the donation if the podcaster replies, so it seems like the perfect time to sign up, find your favourite shows, and leave them a review. In November 2019, Space Cargo Unlimited sent a case of wine from Bordeaux to the International Space Station. It spent just over a year ageing in microgravity before coming back down to Earth earlier this year. Their Alpha mission sent Vine cells on a suborbital flight on Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket in December 2019. Then, in March 2020, the Keynes mission launched 320 Vine cuttings to the ISS to see how they would react to life in space. These were the first three experiments of MissionWise, a comprehensive research programme investigating the effects of space on vines and wines to develop innovative solutions to agricultural problems here on Earth. I'm thrilled to have CEO and co-founder Nicola Gaum and scientific director Dr Michael Liebert on the show to talk about MissionWise and its first results. Hello Nicholas, hello Michael, welcome to Gardeners of the Galaxy. You're here today to talk about your very exciting mission. But Nicholas, if we can start with you, your co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo Unlimited. Why did you decide to start a space company and, and what does your company do? What are your goals? So hello Emma. Um, well, I've been, in, uh, I've been a tech entrepreneur all my life and I started uh, as as a, as a teenager uh, enjoying video games, and, and first company was a game company. When game wasn't as 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 big of a uh, you know entertainment uh, experience it is today, uh, and you know, getting older, you want to make a difference. Getting older, you want to uh, use what you learn to hopefully uh, help uh, uh, others, and, and to a large degree, uh, our, our human community. And, and in all fairness, I've I've been always extremely. Uh, Inspired by by the, the topic of agriculture, I actually grew up uh, with uh, uh, most of my the, the family on my mother's side was in agricultural, so growing plants. Uh, uh, my my uh, my dad was a chef, so I guess of the end production to see what it is you you do when you want to feed humanity. And suddenly, uh, like many of us, I hope all of us, uh, I'm, I'm growing concerns about the future of uh, humanity on our planet because of what we've done to our planet and, and certainly uh, starting a journey where I changed my habits, uh, 
relearn how to behave in the way I consume, I, you know, live really, as I believe we should all. I also realized we needed to find maybe more impactful solutions. It happens that um, I've always been convinced that when rooted in good, strong values, science is a fact of progress. And and um, I think that, I, so I'm a believer in science and progress, and I'm a believer that, that uh, humanity can do good. Uh, now, it is true also it can do bad, <laughs> but it's down to us to decide which way we're going to go. And really, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, all these billionaires that are passionate about space got us thinking with Emmanuel that maybe there was something else to do than escape the planet. Because when you look at what they want to do yeah. is they want to go to yeah. Mars, they want to live in space. And Emmanuel and I really were discussing, you know, well, there's only one planet and maybe there will be others we find where to live. But in all fairness, this is crazy. The amount of energy to find another planet is disproportionate to the one that it would require all of us to be conscious and take actions for the future of our own. So anyway, which, by the way, doesn't mean I'm not excited about going to the moon or Mars. It's just a matter of balance and perspective. So just there's no misunderstanding. Anyway, uh, by the fact that we saw that there were more and more options to go to space at a more affordable price, we thought that maybe uh, as Europeans also, uh, we would never compete in building a full spacecraft and but maybe we could do uh, best use of these and maybe try to think of what it is we could leverage from this infrastructure that was being built uh, to really do something useful for humanity and for the planet. And certainly uh, that got us to look into all the research done uh, in the, on the International Space Station. And we realized there was an, a vast amount of amazing discoveries and that really inspired us as much as a lot of best science. And maybe there was lacking practical outcomes in a way that we thought as entrepreneurs uh, accustomed to tech entrepreneurship where we try to think about what would be new usage you can forge out of innovation and we felt that you know by by kind of creating a platform and infrastructure where we could actually uh, better access to space we could unleash so many higher high level potential it's a long intro and i apologize Emma, but <laughs> What I'm, what I'm reaching out is that that was really a journey between one, our appetite to leverage space for Earth, which was really from the day one, the goal of this company, and two, us thinking that maybe the best area of focus would be agriculture. Yeah. And with that, we were fortunate to meet, and as any story, it's, you know, the people you meet. So we were very fortunate to meet a gentleman named Achim Schwarzfelder, who is today our head of space operation, uh, was uh, working in a, in a big uh, aerospace company at the time, and he was very passionate and amazing. Uh, and we got all of the three of us to think more and do more. And eventually uh, we met Michael, and it was like one step further into uh, deep diving into uh, the immense opportunity of space for Earth. And here we are. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so really, practically speaking, we built this first comprehensive uh project leveraging space for us on the future of agriculture, which shows viticulture, and I can get back to why viticulture, uh, but we feel that the space environment is a unique environment that can bring us many exciting insights and, and key opportunities for the future of, of agriculture on Earth and for humanity's future. Excellent. So you mentioned there that you're focusing at the moment on viticulture. So can you tell us why wine and vines are, are what you're focusing on now? For three reasons. First, viticulture is like the canary in the coal mine. 
uh, when it comes to climate change, yeah. vine plants are super sensitive. So the way they react to uh, climate evolution is really extremely sensitive. And there are very a lot of signs, way too many. One that I often used uh, in talking to, to, uh, to people interested in our work is the level of alcohol in wine. Uh, you take a, a chateau in, in Bordeaux area, uh, you get in, in the 70s, you would get uh, 11 degree of alcohol in a wine bottle. The same chateau today, 14 degree of alcohol. Yeah. Tomorrow, can't do wine anymore in Bordeaux. Uh, and it's really because mainly the, 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 the grapes get more sugary and that's create more uh, of the fermentation, the alcoholic, more alcohol. So, it's, it's kind of extremely telling, you know, and there's so many others when you look at the, the, the disease, some of the, the, the way the vine plants evolve. So it, it, there's definitely a, a very visible signs of, of, of this. Second, nevertheless, wine is a, is a, is a probably a, a more, uh, let's say, higher value in sense of more money involved uh, than other agricultural segments. Uh, and that means specifically that there's more research being dedicated to wine uh, and vine. Uh, they're, you know, they're better pay salary for scientific teams. They're more infrastructure. And really, you know, choosing this particular area, wine and vine, we could access an amazing and a vast amount of expertise and leadership, science leadership, that could give us some solution and that we knew we could then leverage for other opportunities and, and products. So, you know, it was, it was at the second. The third one is, you know, we also felt there was um, some merits being from Bordeaux and being French uh, to start on wine. We do like drinking wine, but you know, it's also interesting to know that uh, the father of uh, enology, uh, I don't know if I pronounce it properly, but uh, the, the science of wine uh, analysis and certainly one of the father with uh, Robert Koch, of modern life science is Louis Pasteur. And he really found um, some major discovery on bacteria that led his work on vaccination uh, out of eight years of study of wine. So, you know, it was also an inspiration to work on his footstep. Excellent. That's really great. So before we start talking about the vines, one of the first steps you had in Mission Wise was to send 12 bottles of wine to the International Space Station. And they, they were there for over a year and you have just brought them back down to earth and, and had the wine tasting. Can you tell me what differences you found between the bottles that had been into space and the ones that stayed on earth? And were you surprised by the results? So... First of all, there were difference, uh, and there were two great wines. And I'd be happy to tell you more about my own perception, but I'll be very <laughs> honest. This is a research program, and we're just starting the process. So, yeah. you know, we still have a lot of work to do to appreciate the differences and the reason of the differences. Uh, I would just want to say that um, wine is still a mystery. Uh, we probably understand only a, I don't know, quarter of what's happening in the wine aging process. Uh, and particularly all the wines, we have no residual, residual sugar in the wine. I still... Tr- continuing to evolve, whereas technically you wouldn't know why because there's no, you know, <laughs> no reason why. So it's it's still a very fascinating process with very key components like bacteria, we said yeast and, and some more very interesting one like polyphenols. And in all fairness, when you look at a multi-component uh, biological system, um, it's a very complex uh, a process when you remove uh, going back to the roots of the project, uh, gravity uh, in the specific environment, and I, I let Michael speak much more of this because I'm, I'm humbling <laughs> by, by Michael's knowledge. But what I want to say is that one of the key things we're trying to capture in everything we do is how uh, the uh, the absence of gravity kind of triggers some interesting evolution. And I will let Michael tell you more about this. But yes. truth is, 
when we affect the absence of gravity to a complex multi-component biological system like a human body, things happen. We had this amazing experiment called Twins in Space, where uh, Scott Kelly, an astronaut, uh, 50-year-old, had a twin brother who stayed on Earth. And when he came back after a year on the space station, he was technically no longer the twin brother of his brother. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but it's hard to really understand all the details of why. Yeah. A wine bottle is much simpler to analyze. And that's, that's really why the reason we, we take this. And going back to my previous point, it's also, again, uh, a study material that, that got Louis Pasteur to, to find so many major discoveries. So we thought it was interesting to start there. Now, we are French, so... Besides having a bit to look into the future of agriculture and food, we also care about taste. Uh, and taste is something extremely subtle, um, different, and that has both a very chemical um, reason, but also there's some cognitive and some more um, even spiritual uh, connections to, to the taste. So, And wine has become an art form in that regard. So the way we did the tasting with those 12 different people, half of them roughly were experts in wine tasting. The other half were amateurs. Uh, and we really looked into first uh, the differences, not necessarily what qualified the wine in itself, but how different it was. And so color got a little more brick color than, than the, the earth wine on the, on the smelling than, we don't say smelling in, but any smelling the, the wine, there was not so many uh, differences, to be honest. And tasting the wine, most of the, the tasters and they had own their, their own vocabulary and they were saying, find a little more uh, fruity, uh, you know, like soft and fruity. So that was my case. And uh, it was extremely moving to see two great ones and different ones, honestly, after all these years, because we were really completely unable to expect. I mean, some of us felt, I guess, had fear that we had like some vinegar of some kind or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It was really... Uh, Okay, so well, that was a really exciting experiment, and I know that that's ongoing. But if we can, if if we can move on to Michael for a minute and talk about the next aspects of Mission Wise, are actually looking at taking the vines themselves into space. So, Michael, can you tell us about the first plant experiment that you launched, which was called Alpha? Yes. So Alpha was um, essentially performed with uh, calluses, which is un uh, undefined plant material. Uh, for for the simple reason that it's uh, much easier to handle, and we sent them for a couple of minutes um, by a ballistic rocket up to the outer stratosphere, and got them back and got the data back. And the idea was, or the background of that was, is it really what we think is happening that um, the exchange between the outside medium and the callus uh, for chemical differences, like for example nitrogen comp components, phosphorus, and so on, is um, changing and limiting, and the oxygen content um, is uh, is changing during the uh, weightlessness period. And we got the, the data back, and uh, uh, it essentially showed what we expected, uh, but we were kind of a little bit of disappointed. It was only a very short period of time yeah. uh, where we had weightlessness, and we have a lot of uh, disturbances uh, in there, a lot of vibrations, and um, so we were kind of expecting much better of microgravity. So if you have a lot of pumps in there, yeah. um, you don't see what you really want to see. So that was a little bit um, disappointing. Anyway, the final outcome was that that was, was uh, what we expected was really happening. And so um, the, the major point, what uh, Nicola was telling you about, about the wine, was the, the background idea is that convection is necessary for the oxygen distribution 
uh, in the wine bottles as well as for the calluses. So that's the connection between the two experiments. Okay. And in microgravity, you do not have any co- connection. So you have a very limited uh, distribution of, uh, of oxygen. And so at places where you normally have enough oxygen or less oxygen, you have now a lot of oxygen or less oxygen. So you, you should expect that the chemical processes leading to the aging of the wine are kind of changed. Yeah. Not disturbed because it's a negative uh, implication. It's not, it's, it's simply changed. So we should see changes uh, in taste and the structure of the wine. So the colloid structure should change, um, all these kind of stuff. That's um, still something which is um, which is coming up in the analysis. The wine is now right now at uh, ISVV, the, the Wine Institute of the University of uh, Bordeaux, under the direction of uh, Philippe Daillet, who is, who is doing the, the main experiments over there. And they are analyzing right now what are the chemical differences between the ground control and the flight experiment bottles. Okay, that's great. So it wasn't particularly long after that that you launched a second experiment, which was called Kane. So that was about this time last year. And you sent 320 what I would call vine cuttings. I think you have a different word, but little segments of vine to the International Space Station. And they stayed there for six months. So can you tell us about that experiment, please? Um, me or Nicola? Go, go, go ahead. So I, I, can, I can tell what we did. We, we sent 320, uh, yes. Uh, the, you, you can see the wood part, which is yeah. the, 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 and, and we, we actually got half Merlot, half Cabernet Sauvignon, because they are the, the, mine, the, the main uh, vines from the border area. But I'll let Michael explain what, <laughs> how we stored them and what happened to them. Yeah. So what the whole idea was that we have in the, the stem cuttings, which include a part wood and, and at least one bud. So something which is growing out uh, later on the next uh, spring. And uh, we have um, those, 320 of those exposed for, to microgravity and uh, to the increased level of radiation. They are kind of a, in a dormancy state. But anyhow, the changes where um, they are perceived are still perceived by the cells, and there's a memory effect, and there is also the radiation effect, which uh, leads to mutations, which um, then lead to a different uh, behavior of, this, um, of the, the cuttings. We were very anxious when, they, when we got them back. That was uh, January this year, and they were over there. I believe it's much more than half a year. It was it's, it's essentially almost uh, nine months because we were delayed in um, in uh, getting them back. Okay. And we, uh, we were totally surprised when we saw suddenly um, that all of them survived at this stage. I mean, we, we expected 50 to 60 percent mm. survivors. This is normal. It is absolutely normal when you do these kind of ex- experiments. Michael uh, is is a is an amazing uh, researcher, uh, science leader, and science lover. And he worked on so many experiments on the International Space Station before. When we started working together, Michael, you just had sent tomatoes uh, into it. Right. Uh, right. So I, I just want to underline that it was something you you were quite familiar with. But we're surprised by the number of survivals uh, this among is our really our amazing. Family. This um, so uh, everything survived. And then we planted them. And what we then realized, something we were totally surprised by the fact that they were growing very fast, much, much faster than controls. Uh, they were forming uh, fluorescence, um, so they were blooming. And so as if they had an advanced developmental speed. Now, 
um, this is the state we are right uh, right now in there. So the main major difference is now the de- developmental speed, which is different. Um, what we are looking in now is uh, what kind of substances in there. So, for example, the polyphenols, the tannins, terpenoids, um, this kind of stuff, uh, which is essentially defining then the taste of the wine later on in the grapes. We will um, analyzing that, and we are just now in the in the process of trying to isolate canes which have an increased insensitivity or resistance uh, for stuff like downy mildew, uh, for powdery mildew, and for phylloxera. In, in German, it's called Reblaus. I don't know what's, uh, what, what the um, English word is. Uh, phylloxera, I think I would recognize as a, um, a, a vine disease that nearly wiped out um, yes. vines. Yeah. Essentially, because, yeah. yes, um, the, uh, we've, if you would get a higher um, resistance of these plants, we would finally have some European wine without uh, American roots anymore. Not nationalism, but <laughs> it would be very interesting to see how the, uh, how the um, taste and the structure of the wine would change if they are the real wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, you say that they're growing very fast and that they're already starting to flower. But, I mean, these must still be very small vines. It's amazing. I mean, it's really, you have one or two leaf and you see the control. Same age, same plant at the beginning, the same plant, twins. And they're like eight, nine, ten. And they're like all big and they have all roots all over. It's fascinating. They are so, like, um, so let's, uh, let's say 20, 25 centimeters, uh, in contrast to two or five centimeters. Okay. How long would it normally take for a vine to go from a little cutting into a vine that produces grapes? Normally, I, I believe it takes about three to four years. Right. So we expect these ones to do that in one to two years. So, which we'll see, which we'll see in the future, but right now it looks like um, they are much faster. Okay, so still with you, Michael. What are we hoping to learn from the Keynes experiment, and what implications does that have for agriculture on Earth? I have to step back for that um, for a second because uh, I come from I'm 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 a traditionally trained physiologist. That was my, my, my background. I did my PhD in biochemistry and did my postdoc for, for molecular biology. So I am, I'm uh, almost a complete biologist knowing all the techniques and all this stuff. What I was always disturbed with is um, that we are, have the tendency in, in the biology field to subdivide the findings and the specialties and the ideas in even so smaller pieces. Yeah. Right? Now, what I was always wondering, there must be a way to have the full picture to connect all the dots which we have, uh, which was um, impossible in many cases because the sheer amount of data was kind of um, uh, killing us. Yeah. Now, when you step back a little bit, you look suddenly at a field of biology, which is kind of strange and uh, a lot of people are talking about it but only very few people have a good idea what is what's happening that's called um, evolution yeah it's a natural way of changing stuff to get in the position to handle new problems new changes for example climate change yeah How is evolution working? And I don't want to go into uh, too much detail. I don't want to bore you. Um, It's mutation and it's uh, selection. 
uh, that's that's essentially. But the the major point is what we learned the last couple of years is that it's not taking so much time as we normally expect. It's okay. not one million years. It's not ten million years. It can even happening in months or a year. So that gives us suddenly the access using evolution to guide our organisms, for example, the wine, in the direction of where we want to go. For example, increased soil tolerance, which is a problem if you have not enough water, drought tolerance. Tolerance against uh, too much uh, too much sun, which cause plants as well as we can get sunburns, for example. All these kind of um, of um, ideas are we are we are uh, popping around right now, and using essentially evolution itself as a process uh, to guide our organisms to go in the right direction we want to have, and that's what we want to learn from the Keynes experiment. Is that really true? Can we really see that? And we know others are already have done these kind of experiments in an other angle. So, for for example, the Chinese were sending up seeds yeah. and uh, exposed them for half a year and for a year. Even uh, some rice seeds were exposed for rice plants. Excuse me, were exposed for only a couple of weeks, and they came back and they saw all kind of changes. And um, these seeds gave rise to varieties which are already planted. Uh, on big scale in China and sold all over the place. So there is something in it. So microgravity in, condition, uh, in, in combination with radiation seems to be a trigger which helps plants develop in the direction we want to go. Now, microgravity um, is essentially only stress. Yeah. And a lot of the responses we see at molecular level are simply stress responses. But on the other hand, stress is also guiding evolution to get organisms which are better adapted. Now, in many cases, the stress the plants see uh, already have been seen before. So more light, more higher temperature, lower temperature, more water, less water, and so on. But they never, ever have seen the stress of microgravity. Yeah. Removal of gravity, because that was always constant during the development uh, in the uh, evolution of the plants. That, that, that's basis of everything we do. It's like life for 4.2 billion years has always had gravity as a constant, whereas yeah. all the other parameters of life have changed drastically all throughout these 4.2 billion years. So when you move gravity, you create that stress Michael's referring to. And it's really that what is the main core engine of, of, of the evolutions we're looking into. Okay. And, and it turns out evolution speeds up in the moment when the stress becomes crazy. For example, uh, animals and uh, plants which are living in towns or in big cities, for example, um, they develop much, much faster than the and, uh, evolutionary speed is much higher uh, than under normal conditions for the surrounding um, uh, villages, for example. So animals learning how to read the traffic lights, not to be run over by cars. So that's one example which I think is, is um, very uh, surprising. To add to this, Emma, because we, we are, you know, we really just want to say, I think complementary to what Michael said, mm. we really want to be able to uh, to push the boundary of knowledge uh, and, and find options. So everything we're going to find, we'll publish just so, and so we'll share yeah. discovery knowledge. Now, as for the plants themselves, we brought back, if we made sure we found naturally, and I insist naturally, organically, more resistant plants to all these uh, evolutions related to climate change that we are trying to uh, look into, then that actually means that uh, we will be in a position to uh, offer 
and sell as, as a business these plants to wineries. And, you know, it's that is the combination of we want to be able to discover and share as vastly as possible and hopefully find ways to get a return so we can continue to fund the research. So, you know, if any of your listeners wonder why we do this, how we do this, and what's the construct between uh, discovering more, uh, hopefully for, for, for nurturing better science, and two, how we can fund the entire thing. That's the way we do it. Absolutely. Somebody has to pay for it. May I add uh, one more piece of uh, at least my, my personal opinion? The, the, the problem is uh, many people might think, okay, why, why don't you use gene technology? which is um, very easy um, to apply and so on. And the normal gene technology we are using is changing one piece and then looks what's happening and uh, then change, uh, change the next piece and uh, look what's, what's going to happen. So it's essentially what you're doing is uh, just imagine you're driving a car and you want to go to the left. There's two possibilities to do this, right? First of all, you can shoot your left tire and you go to the left, right? Okay. Or you can use a steering wheel. Right, which is uh, what evolution is doing. It's using the steering wheel, and we are shooting our our left or right tire. We have a lot of side effects which we cannot control and have a not a good idea what's what's happening there, and that's the difference. And you remember that contrast to many other countries, uh, at least in Europe, gene technology restrictions are very strict. So um, that's another thing, and we think we as scientists have also a kind of responsibility uh, to do it as, as much natural as, as, as it's possible. Okay. So putting plants in space is, is really uh, interesting enough, and at least that's the core belief, uh, a way to let nature show us what's the evolution. Because if you look at the way we hammered Earth, evolution will, will make these plants evolve, but yeah. it will take time. And we as a hum humanity will suffer the consequence. You can say, well, it's our fault. I, I tend to believe that, that we should all behave responsibly, change the way we behave to prevent things getting to worse and then find solutions that nevertheless are respectful of our balance of, of our life and of nature. And that's really what Michael and I and all, and Emmanuel and all the teams strongly believe. We want to make sure we, we let the nature tell us where to go and what to do to find options. That's a really, really fascinating ethos. So I know that there are three more experiments planned for MissionWise. So I don't know who wants to take this one, but can you tell us what's coming up? I really want to say, you know, we, we're still working on defining these. Each of, of the experiments brings knowledge that virtually the next. So to be completely transparent, we, we can share some of the hopes of interest we have, and Michael will do this in a second. But we really want to make sure we, we, we have time to, to learn from what we've done. Yeah. Uh, and so most of this year, we're going to have a lot of work uh, analyzing uh, the, the plants uh, uh, we brought mainly, the wine also. Um, as I said, we'll publish all our outcomes and results, but we'll also refine what is next. Now, the spirit was, was to go anything from vine to wine. I mean, it was going to the entire spectrum. Uh, that was the intent of Mission Wise to begin with, to be able to have everything from the plant to the actual part of it and, and, and understanding throughout all the very stages and steps uh, more uh, about the plants themselves, about the processes, that we can leverage uh, some of the interesting compounds. Um, I think mentioned polyphenol and others, uh, and so that we'll continue to do so. 
So, for instance, fermentation. In fermentation, we have a lot of things to learn about. Uh, fermentation is critical to making wine, but it's also critical to making bread and pasta and, and so many other food products. And certainly, obviously, also super critical to pharma uh, to create medicines. So that is certainly one. From, put, doing fermentation in space is something extremely interesting. But, Michael, please uh, take it away on giving more thoughts on, on our fourth experiment and what we're looking into. Yeah, and um, you should also consider that we have to redo or want to redo um, one of the experiments, for example, Keynes, a second or even a third time to yeah. have a, a more solid basis before we step um, we step forward. Can we emphasize um, the fermentation approach of uh, what um, uh, Nicola was saying? So the next step would be we have now the grapes. And what's happening now is now we need yeast and uh, especially for red wine, we also need some bacteria uh, which are doing um, um, stuff in there. And um, this is now an interesting question. When I when I talk to, to a friend of mine, Jacob Cohen, he's, he's a, the lead scientist of uh, NASA Ames. And uh, he told me, when you look at this wine, this is a very specialized plant system or organism. Uh, when you look at yeast, it's a very general um, organism. Yeah. So the chances to see changes uh, which are going in the direction you want to go or in bacteria are much, much higher in that generalist because they have a much easier way of changing their direction than wine, for example, has. That doesn't exclude wine from our, from our experiments, but um, this is very, very much that I'm looking forward to doing these kind of experiments because um, now we look for what's happening to yeast exposed to microgravity, what is happening to the bacteria which are smoothing um, the wet wine. Um, so they are changing some of the chemical substances uh, to give the uh, interesting taste of the wet wine. Now, and what what's happening if you do this together? Because in nature, nothing happens isolated. Yeah. We always have a combination of all kinds of stuff. And that's for uh, for this kind of experiment. And then we go even a step further and go back and close the circle. And now you look for wine plants or for plants and their interaction with their internal microbiome. You remember that we have a lot of bacteria in humans. We have them in, in, in our guts. And we learn every day more how important these bacteria and the happenings are very much influencing how, how good our health is. Yeah. It's the same for plants. So um, you look for the internal microbiome and the external microbiome and the interaction between the plant and the external microbiome. And this is very, uh, this is really, um, we are so much looking forward for that. We are teaming up with experts like uh, Sharon Dotti, the um, University of Washington in Seattle uh, to do these kind of experiments. And this will become this really quantum leap of what we are um, thinking, what we can do. So I have a question for you, Michael. Okay, good. Yeah. Obviously, now we have we're entering the era of commercial spaceflight. It's easier to rerun experiments, there. but we're also looking. We're getting to the point where maybe the scientists get to go into space with the experiment. So, would you like to go into space with one of your experiments? No. 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 <laughs> Nicola really wants to go, I know, and I give it away now, <laughs> but I don't want to go. Um, I, um, I, I mean, everything I know about uh, ISS, for example, is, is kind of, I'm very clear about this. No, I don't want to go in a smelly environment, which is very loud, and yes. you really have a problem to go to the toilet. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
I'm with you there. It's very, it, it sounds too much like camping um, to me. <laughs> yeah, but camping is luxurious against what's, what they have up there. <laughs> no, no. What, what I what I like to do is, and that this this might come as a surprise, but um, I think the mo the most problems we have in doing the experiment, experiments up there is uh, are the astronauts. Uh, they have so much to do; they are yeah. so under stress that a lot of things happening which shouldn't happen. Now, um, so what what uh, our idea is uh, essentially that we have automatic systems which do it again and again and is absolutely the same way. Yeah. So my short answer on the bottom line is no. <laughs> Never. But but you want to go, Nicola? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, you No, I do, I do, I do, actually, I do. I mean, again, I do because I, 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 one thing I want to experiment is the overview effect. It's been well documented. Oh, yes. uh, it's, it's this ability uh, to see Earth from, from above that I believe has been transformational to many astronauts. Uh, to a, really admire space uh, as, as a tiny little blue... Uh, Dots in the middle of a uh, of vacuum of space, and, and it gives you uh, even further love of the planet. Honestly, I want to experiment that. I want to see that that view. But yeah, I appreciate the, the practicality of as of now, extremely uh, demanding. But you know, looking at what uh, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and so many other companies are working on, you may expect it will be a different uh, uh, experience in years to come. And in all fairness, I've actually co-founded a company in Mobit uh, with my partner Jason Andrews to actually train the next gen of, of, uh, of uh, commercial uh, astronauts, of space uh, tourists. Right. Uh, so I'm very eager to continue to do this <laughs> and explain myself. Okay, so looking into the future where we are a, a multi-planetary species, if there was a colony on the moon or Mars and, and you got to go and you could take one plant in your luggage, what would you choose, Nicola? So I actually have been, I've been thinking about this. So you obviously could to choose an ornament plant, something looking good, but yeah. I really wanted something practical, uh, and I decided to go for lens. Lens is it? Is it the English term? Uh, I, was, I was trying to think of how you call them in in English. Uh, the plant, the lens that that uh, that produce the lentils. Ah, oh, yes. No, we just call ah, them lentils. Ah. Yeah, lentils. lentils. Okay, okay. I thought the plant as it. Yeah, I, the lentils is actually the, the the seeds, right? But yes. anyway, I liked it because um, uh, you know it's it's I I like permaculture, uh, and certainly when you start uh, growing plants, uh, you know it, it's taking the nitrogen from from uh, from from the atmosphere down into the soil, and it gets you uh, the ground for growing other things. Yeah. Uh, the lentils, so the seed, uh, I love to eat, <laughs> <laughs> and they are fairly easy to store. So I thought, you know, if I was to start a new life on a new planet, that I would go for, for the lentils, yes. Well, they do pair very nicely with wine. So I think, yeah, you've got a good choice there. <laughs> be fair, be fair. <laughs> and so, Michael, if we forced you to go into space to this colony, <laughs> what plant would you take with you? What I would take, I figured that a lot of people would do um, would bring some practical stuff, right? They yeah. are going to share that anyway. So I could bring something beautiful because I'm breeding in my garden uh, peonies. I would bring a peony. And Definitely. if I give, if I, if I would be allowed to bring some animals, I would bring some bees for, for fertilization. And, um, cause that, that helps a lot. Okay. So are we going to have space honey from your, from your peonies? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> are we going to make you come then now? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> 
So that's great. You can definitely both join my colony then because we'll have, we'll have wine, we'll have lentils, we'll have peonies and we'll have bees. It'll be uh, the world's most beautiful place. Sorry, the off-world's most beautiful place. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Okay, well, it sounds like you have a very exciting few years ahead of you. So hopefully you will come back on the show in a couple of years' time and tell us uh, some more of the results and and about what has gone on in between. So thank you both very much for taking the time to come and speak to us today. Thank you so much, Emma. It was was so much fun. Thank you so much for having us, Emma. (laughs) It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Did you know that Helen Sharman was not only the first Briton in space, but the first woman to visit the Mir space station? Her Project Juno mission was nearly 30 years ago, and in the next episode, I'll be looking into Helen's space gardening experiments. Subscribe to the show now so you don't miss it. You can subscribe via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and YouTube, and there are links in the show notes for you. I'd love to hear your comments on the show. You can comment on the Podbean homepage, on my website, on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, or email me, and the address for that is earth at spacebotany.uk. That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who would like to support the show. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to tell a friend. Let's grow our Space Gardener community. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control confirming termination of your signal. We have spoken to the engineering team about the smell you've reported and they have requested that you try stirring the WC tank. Mission control out.